0: Mr. Nick Davenport, how's it going, man? You good?
1: Yes, I'm good. It's good to be on the show.
0: Yeah, how's uh, how's life treating you? How's your day been?
1: Pretty well. I'm in uh, sunny South Florida here. You know, uh, just had Thanksgiving break, so just been handling business, working on some different moves with the company, getting ready for different fighters and different uh, protocols to put together.
0: Um. So. Tell me a bit about your background for anyone that sort of doesn't know who you are. Um, just give them sort of an insight into what you do and what you're about.
1: Well, basically my background, I've been an athlete myself for pretty much my whole life. I'm 29 years old. I started probably when I was like four playing baseball, football, running track, soccer, you name it. But I, I got real good at track, baseball and football, and actually went to college for track where I had a less than a lackluster career. And then I got into psychology as my major and I loved it. But once I graduated, I said, I want to kind of stay in the psych field, but I want to stay in the sports field. But I didn't know how that could mesh. And then while I was working on my master's as a therapist, which I really didn't take too, too well. I learned about sports psychology, which was a, a field that's been around for some time, but it doesn't really get too much light. But once I found it, I fell in love with it and I changed my major to sports psychology for my master's. And it opened up the world to me how mental performance can affect athletes, can affect uh, just life in general.
0: So that's obviously kind of what made you to an extent choose this career path. But what was like the main sort of interest for you that sparked it where you was like, you know, I want to go down this route. Like I'm in the wrong, wrong field here.
1: I guess it would be uh, mental toughness because sports psychology can encapsulate so many things like uh, personality, uh, uh, burnout, being able to. Uh, Go long durations uh, with low mental resources, but mental toughness was something really stuck to me being able to persevere being able to fight off uh, any challenges and adversity because in my own like life and career as an athlete and as a person I faced a lot of adversity. I I was at one point uh, as a freshman I lost my actually lost my scholarship because of academic probation I had to work to get that back and my uh, track scholarship. So I've seen a lot of adversity So I took to it pretty well because it, it had a lot of research on that topic And it led me to start my business uh, eventually dealing with cognitive performance and athletes and then eventually with just general population.
0: So did you find kind of, because for your own sort of adversity and toughness and the things sort of you've overcome in, in your life, is that like kind of what made you attracted to like the psychology of humans as well in the sense of like, you can, people can, you know what breaks people is like different things obviously I could spill my cup of tea and be like in tears mm-hmm. and you may look at me and be like oh, what's this guy on like these British guys must love their tea what's going on you know <laughs> but obviously like trying to understand the psychological aspects behind that's probably quite interesting
1: oh yes yeah. you hit it on the head it's all about interpreting the situation um there's a method called the ABC method basically A is the event that happens that's the activating event so like I said uh, spilling the tea. I'm use that
0: example
1: B is the belief. You can see it as okay. I spilled the tea. Oh, well, I'll get another cup Or you can take it as oh my gosh What have I done and then C would be how you feel afterwards? Are you gonna go into depression or you're just gonna pick up and go on with your life now The tea example is kind of far-fetched, but you can apply that same concept to any event and that separates the, the greats from the not-so-great Because it's how they react because everyone has adversity. No one in this world don't care if you're a millionaire or or a poor person, you're going through some kind of struggle, but how do you react to it and carry on is what's gonna make or break you.
0: So with um, so, sort of the, say, performance athletes, um, you know, like the high end, what's their, like from from your knowledge and sort of working with guys in, in MMA, what's their, how's their adversity, like when they lose and stuff like that, can that like make or break a fighter?
1: Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, I feel like they're at that level, you're, you're more prone to adversity, so it's not like the little stuff's going to get to them. It's more so, th- I think, the, the the more bigger scale things because a person in a fight scenario, just from the physical standpoint, you're taking a lot of uh, beating impact, so it kind of mentally carries over because if you can take punches, you can take a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think it's more so from the grand scheme of things of like, okay, is this going to make or break my career? Those are, I think, the things that I've noticed at least it's going to be on their their plate. Because at this point, they're, they're, they've surpassed the smaller things. They've been most uh, seasoned fighters, have been fighting ten plus years, so they've seen the little, minute stuff that a beginner would probably break down for. So it's more so the the bigger scale things. I think that it makes it more uh, detrimental.
0: How do you think um, Joanna Jacek is going to sort of react to what happened with her and um, Rose? Because I'm, I'm, obviously when she lost, she was like in, in tears about, um, you know, the defeat and that. And me, Phil, Jason, and uh, Paulie Gloves, obviously, all predicted on our podcast. We thought she was going to win as well, so it's quite a shock. Is that? Do you know what I mean? How do, I don't. I, it's kind of hard to understand, like how she might bounce back from that after, having a slight breakdown after the loss.
1: Well, I saw a lot of her interviews post fight too, and it, and it was she was pretty shaken up, and from my opinion, it looked like she was shaken up not necessarily because she lost. It was I think maybe more so of just it was just that sting that okay things didn't go exactly as planned, you know, because everyone knows pretty much in most sports, let alone fighting, no one really goes undefeated, and you can always bounce back. And I've had the pleasure to you know speak with her at Top Team and see her work ethic, so I'm I'm hopeful that she probably will. More likely bounce back with a uh, you know that that thirst for more because like I said, how do you interpret it? Some people take it as a loss, like dang, do I just am I not good enough? Or you can take it as this wasn't my night, it didn't go as I planned, but guess what? Next time, it's gonna be it's gonna be ten times better. So I think my I think she'll be good.
0: Mm. I mean, uh, touching on uh, fighters still with the like psychological aspect, I think you've kind of got like. Conor McGregor's sort of mentality and then you've kind of got like the Ronda Rousey mentality and obviously no disrespect to Ronda Rousey but when she lost to Holly Holm it was kind of like for her maybe it was uh, I can be beaten which might have like impacted her performance in her next fight whereas Conor McGregor seems to lose like he did against Nate Diaz get straight back in there and win and it seems not to mess with his fucking head at all and I'm just like ow
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, the Ronda Rousey thing, like that's a good example of how someone took a loss and it affected how their performance subsequently was because, like you said with Connor, you lose, game over, next fight. Or you lose, dang, what I'm going to you start changing things that probably don't even need to be messed with, physically and mentally, and now you're starting to be in your own head, which pretty much blocks your performance in a negative way when you start thinking more so than you need to be and just doing what you're you're there to do.
0: So when you sort of um, work with, well, when you work with fighters, not sort of work for them, when you work with fighters, how do you sort of help them to become more creative with, um, you know, like their thought processes and um, fighting styles, etc.
1: So, yeah, that's where I, I change up things from the traditional uh, uh, sports psychology uh, methods. usually a sports psychologist or a consultant would come in and just talk with them and find out, okay, where their minds are, what things like confidence, motivation. And these are all things I definitely look at and think about when I put together my programs. But when when I come in, I do it from a physical standpoint because there's no time in our lives, whether it's in the ring or not, that we're not gonna be physically interacting with our body and our mind. So the drills I put together, put them in a stressful state, one, so they're always having an ever-changing environment which is critical because it's never going to be a constant in the, during a, a fight. Two, I try to get their reflexes sharper, make have to simultaneously have to think in different um, mindsets, so their decision making gets more quicker. Because at the end of the day, split seconds make all the difference. We're in a sport of minute seconds that can be the difference between knockouts and getting knocked out. So my approach is to always have them at a point that they're always on their toes and always have their head on the swivel, either as Uh, With the apparatus, I use something called fit lights. One of the main things I use, and it has them to have to react to these lights that I can set up in all kinds of different patterns, all different kind of ways, assign different uh, tasks to each color. So they're always thinking and being overloaded with information. So when they get to a real fight, processing is, is that much easier. And therefore, they simultaneously get physically better, but mentally, their body acclimates. Because I use an analogy of um, a person on a vacation, right? So if you go to a vacation, say I've never been to London, so I would go to uh, London, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing! Oh, Big Ben! Or so I'm getting like all excited about what I'm seeing. But you don't want to be that in a, a performance, especially a fight. You want to act like you've been there before. So if I can simulate, obviously, I can't simulate the fight uh, verbatim step for step but i can simulate the reaction i can simulate the 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 cognitive demand of the fight so when it does happen they're not going to be like oh my gosh what is this they're going to be like okay i've seen that and they'll be more able to focus on the more smaller details while the opponent is getting overwhelmed because they're 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 just seeing a big picture versus seeing small intricacies that can lead to a victory
0: yeah i mean um i heard from my friend over here studied uh, sports psychology as well I, I don't really know much about it like but he was saying um his friend this is a not a long conversation but i'll try and remember it word for word because i don't want to like misquote but his friend said to him and obviously I overheard the conversation and he was saying that um how can you measure that like a sports psychologist has an impact on a performer so for instance say tiger woods um at the masters gets in a sports psychologist and wins but then next year he loses because his psychologist changes like how i I, it's hard to understand for me how you can like measure um so like if i go to the gym and lift weights i notice that my biceps are getting bigger (laughs) do you get what i mean like how with like the psychology side how can you measure like okay by doing these things that is noticeably changed here on the spectrum
1: that's a great point you bring up because i actually was just writing about this on an article i'm working on and basically you're right most people don't want to buy into this as much because you have to say where's the tangible data because like i said a muscle can get bigger a muscle gets stronger i can see that i can feel that so what i do like i talked about the fit lights and they are good because they record reaction times they record how long it took them to do a task. It records if they were accurate or not. So that way, I can say, a hey, Mark or a or Dustin, you were at one point one second on this drill. We need to get down to sub one second, or you're at quarter of a second reaction. So I can always show them their improvements, and that's how we know physically that they are thinking quicker and moving more efficiently and faster. That's the only way you can really uh, uh truly show that things happening. Because at the end of the day, you can't just say, oh, you look sharper. You can, but. It doesn't hold too much weight versus saying, hey, you did this half a second faster. And that half a second can mean the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, putting it in, um, sort of processing it for my mind is the by before, by doing that task and needing to bring it down to under one second and then eventually they do that and then they're, how do I like kind of break it down to explain it? It's like they do the task and then they do the task again and it's quicker and then they do the task again and it's quicker and then they never hit the first time again if that makes sense because they've improved there and you can measure the improvement and then they that kind of within their fight game obviously they could punch like because they're reacting to that situation just that a little bit quicker so the psychology there the pressure that you put them under is allowing them to perform under sort of that one second barrier do you get what i mean like it's improving their mm-hmm. reaction times that's what i'm trying to say but was, like because i saw your video where they were doing uh the 50 to 45 and having to tap the light every time they found the mm. number and i think to myself that makes like good reaction speed and like the processing and building i don't know you know the science behind it but but you get what i'm trying to uh my point yeah. is i think like that is how you what exactly what you said is probably the best way to measure it and then, obviously, when they go into, like, a real scenario in the ring and uh, the the, impl- the reaction happens where they need to just react that a little bit quicker, there you see the result of your work, I guess. I should have just said that in the first place. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, guess, uh, I could put it a simpler way to put it. could be, like, like imagine a, a picture frame and you only have, like, say, 10 seconds to look at it. Now, what we're doing is is giving that ability to recognize because you can't see what you're not looking for. So when we're doing these drills, like I said, you become more uh, attentive to detail. So if I show you this picture frame and the first time you look at it, you only saw there's a, a family there. But the next time you see, you might say the dad was wearing a hat. Next time you see, you might say the mom was wearing pink shoes. But what we're doing is we're trying to get you to see that picture in full the first time. So that's kind of, I guess, the way you can look at it is because when you're in a fight, you have to be able to see these details, be attentive to every movement your opponent's doing or everything that's going on and ignoring other irrelevant tasks so you can execute properly. So I think that's the way you can look at it, getting the big picture the first time.
0: Yeah, I should have just made you explain it rather than me rambling on. Um, So how do you start to like strengthen the brain as well?
1: Well, basically, I'll give a little more backstory. I started a business called Mental Muscle Fitness back in 2011, and this is while I was still um, doing my master's. And it was just a name. It had no relevance to each other. I was just working people out. So I stumbled across um, some research uh, about in 2014 about how the body and the brain work together. And then, unfortunately, about a year later, my grandmother, great-grandmother died of Alzheimer's, and I looked deeper into how the brain and the body work. And I got this book called Spark. By a professor from Harvard, um, John Rady, and it basically it broke down like very simple, but still scientific on every processes of the brain and how exercise can increase it and how brain performance can go unanimously back and forth with the, the body. So I said, why don't I take that concept? Because they said exercise and then do something cognitive like Reading or or learning a language and I thought to myself the average person these days is not reading that much They're not trying to do all this stuff So I said why not make the exercise itself the cognition and thinking so it started off with me? Just like saying some regular uh, flat cones, soccer cones that were red blue green whatever and I'll assign a number to these cones Like one is red blue is two, etc And I'll call out the number and have to react to the appropriate colored cone based off the number So this led up to the, the basis for my concept then I got different technologies that made it more proficient because now I can measure time because before I couldn't measure time. So basically this led up to where we're at right now with MindBody1, my current company. MindBody1 is um, what we're it now.
0: So what sort of um, like what other drills would you maybe implement for someone that did just want to uh, improve their remembering skills, for example? So... Um, I need to remember a list of one hundred and ten items. I can only remember seventy of them at the moment, but I need to get to one hundred and ten. So, how can I, how could I train the, the brain for that? Like, coincide things or,
1: well, yeah. So you don't have to spend thousands of dollars like I did on equipment stuff. You can take something simple as like um, playing cards. So for memory, for example, the easiest game I think everyone across the world has played this game. I, I, we call it concentration. When you flip over a card and you find a uh, a matching card, and then you have to remember where it's at. So that's the simplest way to do it. But obviously that's not going to help. It's like saying you're running uh, one lap around the track. That's not going to do too much for your fitness. So same thing for your brain. So how I would flip it is give yourself different distractors, like um, have someone uh, saying a, a irrelevant task in front of you, or maybe when you flip it over, uh, count backwards from 20 so you it'll distract your brain before you flip over the other car So you're putting extra stress on the task of memory so that way you're actually just like a muscle You're loading something called working memory, which is uh, a way to hold information in your head and basically you're making that harder Therefore it'll get stronger just like a muscle would if you were to put on more plates on a, a bench press or a squat So those are simple ways you can do it.
0: It's mad because like you think about it in, like for my for me I'm like okay yeah I just flipped the card and I flip the card and I'm not in any stressful situation and it's fairly easy but then someone comes in and they start like shouting at you or making random noises as you're flipping the cards and putting you off and then you kind of understand there that how then you can measure it in the sense of oh well the first time this person was shouting at me and I was flipping these cards and trying to match them all I did shit and now I'm coping <laughs> with the stress and matching them up and performing better and that doesn't even bother me so obviously there must have been some growth there
1: oh, yeah because uh the thing is people are your, your brain doesn't like thinking while under stress that's why for example people who learn cpr and they learn it and then they have to do it for real a lot of people forget and it goes out the window not because they're just inadequate it's just because your brain's sending energy elsewhere sending it to your muscles you've heard of fight or flight and your brain doesn't know what stress is it just knows something's going on. How we interpret stress is dependent on us. You can say there's a line in front of me, run. You can say a line in front of me, let's handle it. Now, depending on who you are and what you got on you, you might do the latter. But uh, so basically, it's all about how we interpret uh, the stress and how we uh, block out the, the the irrelevant tasks and the distractors because in any daily task, we're going to have some kind of uh, unbalanced playing field. We never really get that perfect. Like scenario you know in anything we do
0: so um with sort of fighters it gets spoke about quite a lot in boxing or whatever um fighters seem to like fall asleep in say like the middle rounds of their fights or um so they'll be beating their opponent for like one to four and then like four to seven they just seem to step off the gas and they get knocked about a bit they don't really look like they're in there and then suddenly they come out of their shell again um how could you like help someone build that? I mean, I assume it's like their attention levels, you know what I mean? They just like wander off or whatever. How could you help someone sort of build and focus and grow their attention level? So in that task, they are completely focused on it for the sustained period of time rather than wandering off to Narnia or whatever.
1: <laughs> and you may not have a psychology degree, but you just described the term um, called ego depletion actually. So basically that's when, um, Your physical and mental resources are low, and that's when, you, like you said, you start wandering off, and this is a very real thing. So what me and uh, Phil DeRue, the head strength coach at uh, Top Team, do is we'll purposely put them in a a tired, fatigued state, like get their heart rates through the roof, have them do some um, sled pushes or sprints so they're tired, and then I'll make them think because that's exactly what's going to happen in the fight. Your your mental supply is drained and your – your physical supply is drained at the same time. So by simulating that, it gives them the, the ability to think and have to react in those situations when in a fight, when you're deep into a fight, when the other guy is starting to finish you off and you're in the point like, okay, I'm tired and you start getting sloppy. You're not as technical. So we do that so you can stay technical under duress because when it happens for real, you've already been there.
0: Yeah, so sort of keeping you smart when you're absolutely fucked because I've, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done it like... Um, long story short I jumped in the sea because I live by the sea and um, my whole body well actually I don't even know if it's relevant now but I'm going with it anyways my whole body was like freezing cold and I was trying to swim trying to swim and then I was like fatiguing I was stressed and I thought I'm going to drown here. luckily my friend came come and saved me but if I'd fatigued if I'd ever been in a situation where I'd fatigued completely and someone had made me keep thinking and keep reacting that might have helped me with that process more maybe is that kind of the same sort of situation the same as fighters in an octagon when they fatigue they're still using their brain and thinking look i'm getting smacked in the face here i need to grab them and not stand in front of them or whatever we can get quite lazy in our thought processes, i guess when we're absolutely drained of energy
1: oh yeah it's definitely the, the same situation because like i stated before uh whether it be a fight in the ocean trying to swim for your life all your body and brain knows is get me out of here <laughs> it doesn't know anything else now we actually have the consciousness to interpret that data and be like this is a guy trying to punch and kick me and choke me don't let that happen or this is me in the ocean let me get out of this so at the end of the day everybody just knows danger stress anxiety but we interpret it as such so yes you being able to handle that situation prior to that like um, in the Navy SEALs, I know for a fact they, they do a drill where they purposely um, have their soldiers underwater for, I think, 20 minutes. And their scuba tanks, they, they the drill sergeant will purposely rip off the cords and have to tangle them up. And they will have to untangle them and put them back together while underwater without obviously drowning. So oh, under this stress exposure situation because not saying this will happen in the actual field. But if it does, guess what? They've been there. Their body is not uh, – uh, their body is used to it. You know, like I said before, they, they, they've they been on that vacation, been there, seen that, doesn't impress me no more.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it's mad that they, they do stuff like that. I mean, and I think that kind of um, in the sense of even like champion fighters and average fighters, it kind of makes and breaks people. Um, you know, if I was in that situation, probably sitting here I could say, yeah, I'd just drown and just let them take me up and be like, I quit, I'm out of here, like, I'm not doing this. Whereas other people will be like, right on, man, that was fucking yeah. cool. <laughs> I smashed that shit. Did you see when he put it round my neck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, it's mad how different people react to different situations. Um, but, yeah, obviously, it's that f- sense of familiarity. Familiar- I can't even say the word. What is going on with me? Familiarity. It's the sense of that and being like, okay, I've been in this situation. My psychologist, my strength and conditioning coach has put me here. I know how I'm going to handle myself here, and kind of almost like using the brain muscle to just you know coast to the end of the fight and hopefully see out the victory.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like like I said, I keep using the uh, the muscle analogy because it, it's so relevant. Like to get a little scientific on you when you're whatever you do, whether it's a, a punch, a kick, running. Your brain has to send the electrical impulse to the muscle to activate, and it's like the more times this impulse gets sent, the stronger the connection gets. And there's something you, I'm sure most people heard of, muscle memory. That's basically the the simple term of it. Your body is learning the movements, and the beauty of that is this where psychology comes in. The cognition is you don't have to physically do it for the muscle to get the signal. Like you can imagine yourself. Like there's a lot of science and research on imagery when you imagine an event, whether it be lifting a weight a fight, whatever the event is, and your neurons actually still fire the same way as if you physically did it. And you can pr- practice it in your head this this phenomenon many times. As in real life, you can't practice lifting a weight to a certain extent, you know, or you can't practice sparring to a certain extent until you, you might get hurt. But in your mind, you're pretty much limitless on how many times you can see it. So it's like, yeah, you physically didn't do the fight or you physically didn't do the techniques or moves, but your body and the nerves have been linked even though you haven't physically done it. So that's a great way to practice. And a lot of big-time athletes like Kobe O'Brien, um, a lot of uh, baseball players are big on this because you can see it a million times before you actually even do it once.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're cool that um, people have kind of tried to use it as like some of those law of the attraction things, in a sense. You know, like Conor McGregor, he's like, yeah, I see uh, Aldo with his right-hand tense. I've visualized this fight. I've visualized... And it's kind of the same thing, so... When he goes in there, he's seen all these different scenarios already. He's ready to react to it. Each one, it's kind of and like you said, the it's the new uh, the electrons. Is it electrons that you fire down? Oh, neurons. 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 I said it. I was right first time. <laughs> the neurons fire down, and obviously, so for him when he's in that real situation, because he's visualized it so much, the neurons are reacting because it's familiar to them. I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. they exactly what it is.
0: So, how does what you're doing, like, um, work within the MMA world? Like, how have you made it so sports-specific to MMA?
1: So, yeah, so that's a good question. So, basically, uh, how we make it more sports-specific? So, because at the end of the day, I'm not a MMA techn- technician. Like, I'm not working on their uh, grappling or their, their striking or anything like that. But how I can integrate some of those factors in so it has relevance is, for example, we'll use uh, some of those, like, the lights and This is how we get our memory and thinking involved. We'll assign different combos to a different color light. Me or Phil will hold them up like in our hands like this and say the blue light is one combo, red light is another. So when it comes on, they have to throw those strikes. And that way they're reacting quickly to the strikes when they happen. So now you're using working memory. They're using uh, reaction, but as well using their striking combos. Or there's another um, tool I have. They're called strobe goggles. So they basically... They're like sunglasses, kind of, but the lenses actually can uh, blur your vision on and off. And can like set said, it's an easy level when you can see pretty clearly to difficult when you can barely see at all. And I'll actually simulate situations like um, one thing I pointed out in, uh, before was with Phil, we were talking about it. Um, I put the setting on his right eye being blinded and his left eye having minimal vision since he's a southpaw. So I wanted to simulate him being disadvantaged in cases, you know, eye gets hit. You know what I mean? So. We did um, different drills with the, the pool noodles um, tacking them. He was blocking them off. So um, when Dustin fought Pettis, there was a similar scenario. I, I saw it and it was like kind of uncanny like how it carried over because we put him in that situation before. So that's how I kind of apply to fighting because we don't want to go too technical because we're not trying to change his form. But we want to do simulate some scenarios that we can cognitively get him reacting or thinking in a scenario that would be the fight. So that's one of the uh, key examples, I think.
0: How did you get to working with um, Mark and Dustin?
1: Well, basically, uh, this is a cool story. Me and Phil actually played high school football together down here in um, Deerfield Beach, Florida, uh, not too far from the Miami area, South Florida area. So basically, we uh, played uh, uh, on the same side. I was a uh, safety. He was a linebacker, so he was the leader of the defense. So me and him had a cool relationship. Uh, We went off to different colleges, and we kept in touch across the years on and off. But um, it was actually, this is like, I cannot tell you a lot. I was actually on Instagram and we, like I say, we've kept in touch throughout the years. So he knows what I've been doing and I know what he's been doing. But for some reason, I hit him up out the blue and just said, hey, I got some things I want you to check out. Maybe you can use with your fighters. And he told me that Dustin and him were talking about incorporating a mental aspect this night before. And hmm. I, I had no idea. This was just random hit him, hit him up. And then when he said come through on Monday... <laughs> It was just good timing because uh, UFC on Fox was there, and we got to show this stuff to the world, and the whole world got to see our methods, you know, so it was a pretty cool experience. So uh, me and Phil go way back to, that's what, 10 years ago I graduated, so yeah, about 10, 11 years, so he, he helped me out, putting me on imp- implementing with his fighters, and a lot of them are taken to it, so we got about three more guys coming on, trying it out, so hopefully we can get it to a point where this is like a staple in the industry, you know?
0: Yeah, a game changer almost. Big big game changer. I mean, um, Phil, such such a cool guy. Honestly, like he's helped me out loads of uh, guests from podcasts and like with Mark, he like messaged me like get Mark on your show, man. Make it happen. Contact him. Like get chatting. And I was just like, thanks, bro. Like he's always just willing to help. So he's, oh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a cool guy, man. Um, so how do you think like the top athletes have this uh visit, like site how do you think the top athletes have this like psychological edge? Like do you think they're born with it or is it maybe just a rough upbringing, different scenarios? Do you think like to be a great champion you you are just born with that psychological aspect?
1: Well, I'll say yes and no because like with the physical capabilities, obviously like let's use physical terms first to break it down. Some people are born stronger, faster, taller, bigger, whatever it may be. But Anyone can get stronger. Anyone can get faster to their extent. So I think with the psychological capacity, it's the same way you're born with a certain uh, baseline. So some people are higher than others starting out. But this where you know the old saying uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. This is where that comes in, because let's say I have this uh, mental toughness, this reserve of just resilience. But then I get to the point that I'm just like whatever with it. And then there's a person who just wants it more. And we've seen this happen. And if you want it more and you put in the effort and you persevere, you can be someone who is, quote unquote, ahead. But but just like anything else, it can be trained. You know, like I always like to say, you don't have to uh, be uh, sick to get better. You know, you can get better now. It's like wait for a car. You don't wait till the car breaks down and say, let me get an oil change or let me uh, do the spark plugs or something. No, you, you do that stuff. Hopefully beforehand and that same thing we're doing here. We're getting preventative maintenance. We're getting them ready before it gets to the point because it's like a muscle. I cannot just say, oh, we got to fight next week. Okay, let's do some mental stuff. Nah, it has to be developed. And we progress just like a a strength program. We progress week to week and they get more challenging. They get harder. I'll throw in more variables. I, I make the reaction times a lot quicker so you don't have as much time to think so it's the same concept of, of progressing and that's what makes a, our program i guess very unique that we integrate both applications of the physical and the mental together
0: um going off on a sort of a, a different little tangent is um what do you think like the about the effects of exercise on the brain like do you know much in the sense of the science of what happens when you start to exercise and perform and, you know because uh like for me um i had depression for a while or I was depressed and um i just started exercising and suddenly i just felt stimulated and a lot better about myself and my appearance and ever since then i haven't looked back but i don't really know like the science behind why maybe that happens or like what happens to the brain
1: well there's a there is a lot of science on exercise in the brain and basically what you saw with your ordeal is basically the brain uh gets reshaped with um, different neurotransmitters like uh, dopamine and serotonin, which uh, put it simple, dopamine's for pleasure, feel good. And uh, serotonin is like the police of your brain. They, they make things are, that are running smoothly. So when you exercise, these actually get flooded through your um, uh, body to actually increase how you feel. That's why you get some feelings like runner's high, they call it, or euphoria. Because now your brain's operating on a more balanced level without you know having to use different... Uh, um, pharmaceuticals, which I'm not knocking pharmaceuticals. They have a role, but this is a way to do it without having to compensate for other parts of your um, Your hormones and stuff. So the brain has a lot of uh, Benefits from exercise and that's just one of them. There's other things such as memory because um, that word you talked about BDNF I won't get too deep on that, but that helps um, your brain cells your, your neurons get stronger and harder to damage That's why um, like they have research with Alzheimer's patients who exercise regularly and they don't have as bad symptoms. And this is something I haven't really thought too much about, but considering fighters take a lot of blows to the head, this is, there's a lot of relevance there with training the brain because down the road, things like Parkinson's, dementia, Alzheimer's, these are things that they look at CTE with um, uh, contact sports. So there's definitely a lot of relevance there in a non-performance like performance way, but just the overall health for the fighters.
0: Touches on my next point is um, what do you think like the effects of fighting have on the brain because obviously I know in the NFL there was like that study to do with um, obviously the impact they have and the concussion and, and um, I think Alan Shearer's like an English football player over here and he's doing a documentary on like heading the ball um, leads to like con- concussion which can cause like Alzheimer's stuff like that so he's doing a little documentary but i kind of wanted your take on sort of fighting getting hit in the head all the time how much effect does it have on the brain
1: well it has a lot of effects because um, i'm not an expert in uh neuroscience and that aspect but i do know a little from what i've read and the brain or human brain that is is not made really take any kind of impact so being a guy who played con- uh, contact sports like football, I'm, I'm a proprietor of it, so I've been on that side. And I won't say like, oh, don't do it. Obviously, there's millions of dollars we be made in these industries, so they're not gonna stop. Uh, but um, the brain basically, even at a, a light contact, I forget the exact amount of g-force, but even at certain contacts it can cause some kind of impact and disruption in the brain. So you're talking about guys who are getting hit hard, they're much more higher than the average impact where there's uh, fighting football. So our brains are really not made to take that kind of hit because there's no protective layer between. For example, there's um the woodpecker. Um, I learned this on the movie Concussion, actually, with Will Smith. And it has their tongue actually wraps around through their, the back of their head and around their brain and gives it a thick layer of cushion. So when they peck the trees thousands of times a day, there's minimal damage. When we, we do it, when we hit our heads, it's like our brains in a, a jar of water and it's just bouncing all around the glass so that's not good for us. And it releases like different um, proteins that actually do cause damage to brains over time. That's why you see a lot of fighters who get um, dementia or Parkinson's. And now, they can't make it 100% a, a directly, but it definitely has a lot of impact. And that's why, you said, like you said, the studies are starting to show this stuff. So I guess I don't know how to say, can we stop it? Probably not. Getting hit in the head is inevitable in these sports. But maybe there's some ways we can help with the treatment of it mm-hmm. with different means.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's um it's hard, like, because the flip side to that coin is there's people out there that, you know, I'd, I'd take a little bit of concussion to play in the NFL and earn, you know, millions of dollars a year, like, mm-hmm. and, and also it'd make me happy, do you know what I mean, like, make me happier than how I am, like, in my current situation, the same as if I was a world-class MMA fighter, you know, their training and going to the gym every day and working out and sparring that's like your sense of happiness there and if you decided to take that away from people because it's too risky because it causes concussion and certain things have been linked to it you know where where do you draw the line i think as humans we have to make our own choices to an extent and understand that yeah this could be you know a reaction to what i'm doing now is it worth it I think that's probably the best way to weigh up weigh up that situation.
1: There's always, there's always a cost benefit, you know, ratio to it, the the good versus the bad uh, scenario, you know. So that's something I guess we all gotta face, or anyone in that field has to face at some point.
0: Hmm. So how could you link your methods into, say, personal training, for example? Because I'm assuming they're quite like interchangeable. You can kind of use them in MMA and then use them in personal training, but how would it
1: would it change at all or well yeah actually um the other side of our business we actually have a a facility down here in south florida that we do do group personal training and the benefits are pretty much i wouldn't say exactly the same because with the personal training um the fitness is a little more aspect but we're still doing drills that require you to think and react while moving but with the mma fighter it's more so the thinking is more emphasized. There's still movement. They're still moving left, right, up, down, uh, turning, and running, and sprint, but it's not to the extent to, you know, be the workout versus with the group personal training. The extent is to be the workout while doing training. So we're doing like traditional stuff like deadlift squats, but we still have the, the light systems and different cognitive drills we implement between sets or insets. So it definitely has a carryover, because like I said, the brain has a lot of uh, effects from exercise, so doing that alone, exercising is good, and then we when we add in our methods with the brain training while exercising, it can only increase it better.
0: I'd be interested to know, um, kind of a random experiment, but say like burpees, for example, someone does burpees whilst trying to solve a mass problem, and someone does just burpees, which one would burn more calories? Do you know what I mean? Like... Wouldn't that be kind of like, oh, well, you know, this psychological aspect or the even touching the colours or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. touching the, is it fit lights? Is that what you call them? Yeah, fit lights, that's what it's yeah. Called, even yeah. like touching that, doing like red and then going down, doing a burpee and then blue or whatever, like remembering the colours or so on. Would you burn more calories doing that than you would just doing normal burpees?
1: Well, the calories, I think, probably wouldn't be, if any difference, probably wouldn't be too significant. But it would be the fact that from the cognitive standpoint that you would have to use your mind versus um, just doing a regular burpee because, uh, like I said, exercise has benefits. But the more exercise requires, like, thinking, like, even taking outside the thinking part, like, directly. Let's say, um, you know how they use a lot of the agility ladders? A lot of fighters use those, too, and Phil uses those a lot with the fighters. Um, That helps with cognition because… If I just said run a straight line, it doesn't take much thinking to go straight. That's why treadmills are probably the worst form of cardio, in my opinion, especially for brain training. But if you do a agility ladder, you're going left, you're going right, you're going side to side, you're crisscrossing your feet. And that actually takes different cognition to do those those specific movements. So something simply is, is that. So I think that could burn more calories in that sense of you're, you're doing more technical movements, you know what I mean, versus just running straight.
0: Yeah. And um, so you as a professor, am I right?
1: Yeah, I work uh, adjunct at a local college down here in South Florida.
0: Is that what you're doing as well as your side business or you used to do that you?
1: Well, basically, uh, it kind of sound I started the business officially uh, about a year ago, but I've been doing the background research like I said for the past 3 years doing And I got the adjunct position teaching total wellness which incorporates like learning about exercise science, stress management. So, it basically mirrors a lot of what I'm already doing and that's the beauty of it. I use my um, classes actually as like a a sample size population so I can see what truly is considered fast when I do these drills with like Dustin or Mark or Santiago because it's one thing that's where it goes back to data. If I see a time, unless it's standardized, it means nothing because 40 yard dash in football, we know anything under four or four seconds is considered elite speed. But if I say you did 0.3 seconds average on an impulse drill, it really means nothing unless we have something to compare it to. And what we saw was on average, My class, um, they were getting in the high fours and five, half a second, basically, reaction on just one drill that requires, like, using your hands to quickly touch the light. Red means don't touch. Green means do touch. And they were getting about the high fours, low fives. And the fighters, all the fighters are doing sub four. And Dustin actually stood out the most. He did at his fastest touch is, like, a quarter of a second. So that means his hands are moving amazingly fast. And if you see any of my videos on, like, Instagram or anything, you can see his hands are blurry. Like, you, you really don't see. As he moves them, and that's that's, that can carry over a lot with fighters because they have to be able to move their bodies in efficient, quick, um, ways.
0: That's what, like, um, Bruce Lee apparently used to be like, he'd move so quick that they had to slow down the film. Oh, yeah, his hand speed was just like electric, and maybe that's, um, you know, maybe he was sort of ahead of his time in in the sense of performance. Mark's hand speed as well I commented on one of your Instagram videos I think I was like yeah. Mark's hand speed is just like snap like so quick I'm thinking what the?" Mark f- is like wow. a
1: beast in the physical as well like I see him doing his drills with Phil and I see him doing drills with me and he's just fast across the board and you come this come from a guy who is a tracks uh, athlete so speed is king and I'm, I'm one of those guys that I get up and excited about that type of stuff like being fast is definitely important but accuracy is definitely first too though we You got to be accurate, but fast, too. And that's like a trade-off a lot of people don't get, like some of the fighters, some of the students, they weren't getting the accuracy, but they were fast, or they are getting the accuracy, but they weren't fast. We need both. We need to be fast, we need to be accurate.
0: So what did you do your um, thesis on for your um, psychology?
1: So, uh, yeah, so basically I did mine on how we can – it probably set the foundation for what I'm doing now. This was about like three years or four years ago. So I basically did um, on uh, how mental training can be periodized like strength training. So for those who don't know what periodization is, that's basically um, when you say one phase of training, you work on just building muscle. The second phase, you might work on um, just building uh, maximal strength. And then the last phase, you might work on being quick and explosive. So that's how we do with strength training. So my theory was... Can we do this with mental training? And there was very little research and I was surprised. So I was kind of excited because it made me kind of like on the forefront of it. And I've talked with some of the leading experts in it and they were like actually intrigued by what I'm doing now. So basically we found that that integrating the um, mental skills in a periodic way, like saying we start off with just simple things like let's getting their reaction time simple and slow without any distractors to see where they're at. Then we move it up to adding in auditory distractions, making have to memorize numbers while doing it or uh, visual distraction, making have to look at, like you saw on my Instagram with the um, numbers on the, the whiteboard and they have to decipher those while still reacting. And then it gets to the last part when they have multiple cues with their their one arm has to touch this side while the other hand has to touch that side while the foot's touching the, this side. So it's it's basically increasing, like you increase weight, increase weight throughout the, the months, we increase the intensity. So my thesis was basically on that with just regular mental skills and then that set the foundation for what I'm doing with the um, athletes now. Should write a book. (laughs) I should turn. Yes, you made a good point. I should turn that into a book. It was like forty-something pages, so I could edit it, maybe. So, hey, make some extra money, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly that. And you can add add a few bits on that you might have like learnt, you know, over a period of time now that you've seen in other studies. It could all help, you know. Um, But I'm all I'm all out of questions. we have gone forty-five minutes. It's gone quick, in my opinion. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Wow. It goes quick, doesn't it? I was just I look and I'm like, fucking hell, where's the time gone? Um, but yeah, cheers for coming on. Is there anything like you'd like to add? Promote yourself, your channels and stuff like that. Now far away, if you want.
1: Oh yeah, so um, uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram under Mister Mental Muscle. That same thing on Twitter, Facebook, and our company is under The Mind Body One. And that's also on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. So you can follow us on there. You can see a lot of updates with our athletes, with our um, different populations, We're with drug addiction centers, work with um, students in high school, elementary school. So we work with a variety of populations. I'm actually working on Next Step, uh, fingers crossed, getting um, the military and uh, police force involved because they definitely have a a big need for this. And there are already a lot of programs that are out there for mental cognitive training, but I feel ours could bring a big um, aspect to it
0: cool man well um i'll end this and we'll chat off camera quick anyways um thank you for coming on man it's been a, been an absolute pleasure you've blown my mind with certain things i'm gonna have to go do some research now <laughs> and i probably sounded like an idiot after the time oh That's nah you
1: you're you're actually on point with some of your you didn't know the wordings for them but you were saying a lot of concepts that i paid thousands of dollars to learn so who, who's the fool here <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> all right cool right let's end this